dust and breath me on Welcome to This Good Word, where every week we look at one single word in an endless discovery of reclaiming what's holy about our humanity. My name is Steve Weens. I'm a pastor, I'm a writer, and I'm a father of three crazy boys. My hope with this podcast is to create an environment where you can continually discover who you actually are in the world. So feel free to check out my website at steveweens.com, S-T-E-V-E-W-I-E-N-S.com, where you can find links to my blog, to purchase my book, which is called Beginnings, The First Seven Days of the Rest of Your Life, and also links to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. Hey friends, episode 36, the word this week is Jesus. And I interviewed Sarah Bessie, who is the author of Jesus Feminist and Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith. Sarah is a writer, a blogger, a preacher, and in her own words, she's an unqualified theologian and recovering know-it-all. She's married to Brian and they live in Western Canada with their four kids. I loved this conversation. It was so expansive. We talked about Jesus a lot. We talked about the church. We talked about losing our faith and finding it again. Uh, We talked refugees. We talked uh, about marriage. We talked about so many beautiful things. You're going to love Sarah Bessie if you don't know her. Uh, We included some listener questions, uh, people who wrote in. Uh, Natalia, Hannah, Tracy, others. So enjoy the conversation with Sarah Bessie. Sarah, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you? Man, I'm good. It's so good to have you on this good word. Um, I've been anxiously waiting for this conversation. So, uh, man, I can't wait. We have some reader questions people that sort of Facebooked in that are very excited to hear from you. And you're going to be in Minneapolis in a couple of weeks. I know I was just talking to one of my friends at Church of the Open Door, where you're going to be, and the event is totally sold out. So Sarah, people are excited to see you in the Minneapolis area. Wow. Well, that's that's good news. I really, you know, the first time I went to uh, Minneapolis was probably about two years ago. And I remember almost feeling like it was this big secret that everybody had kept. Yeah. You know, like, oh, we you love it here. Minneapolis and, it's cold. and then I got there and I was like, this place is beautiful and funky and fun and such great people and beautiful with the lakes and the trees. I felt, I felt like I just kind of got in on the, on the secret that everybody's trying to keep. Well, you must have come between like October, you know, between like maybe May and September. October. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was September. It's a little bit of a different story in the other months, but you are right. I mean, Minneapolis is beautiful. I love it here. I love it so much. Um, So let's dive in. So 
Sarah, we're going to dive right into the deep end of the pool because you write about Jesus in a kind of way that for me is really compelling. Um, I act, So confession, I actually, I've, I'm thinking about this, I find it hard to write about Jesus because I think he's been co-opted by, by two extremes. One extreme is he's got a political agenda and it's typically far right and and um and I just can't get into that. But then the other I think extreme is Jesus is an example for us to follow and he's a great example and and he might be even God, but um he just shows us how to live and then we got to try really hard to live that way and we have to do 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 good for the world, create peace for the world on our own and you know we have this we have we have the gospels to to see but so but sarah um really you write about jesus in a way to me that's very compelling and it doesn't go to those two opposite extremes so here's my question would you mind talking about that a little bit reflecting on that um i'll ask you later about sort of your faith journey but um can we talk about jesus for a little bit those are like the best words ever. Can't mm-hmm. wait to talk about Jesus. Um, you know, I think that for me, you know, when I went through a, a period of my life when um, I just wanted nothing to do with Christianity and with church, um, you know, just couldn't even bring myself to call myself a Christian any longer. I, did, I, I felt like there was still this sense of, but there's Jesus. Yeah. You know? And, and there was something about his name and his life and his presence in my life that I just never could seem to shake. Um, so even when I was grappling with, you know, organized religion, and still do, you know, to yeah. be perfectly honest, a lot of times, I think like most of us, um, I remember having this day where I was just like, well, I can't call myself a Christian any longer. I'm just going to call myself a follower of Jesus for a while until I figure out what this means. And it was maybe just kind of a trick of language. But, you know, for me, I, I felt like I sort of needed the space that it gave my soul. You know, yes. like sometimes our labels can be really helpful or, or just kind of give us some room or help us figure out who we are. And I remember just having this day where I was like, I should probably figure out what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yes. You know, like yeah. I just was using this language about Jesus and I was like, um, I'm pretty sure that I should actually know who Jesus is. Like, mm. I felt like I knew a lot about Paul, and I felt I knew a lot about how church should be, and yeah. I knew a lot of, like, what to do on Monday morning when you get to work, you know? But I didn't know that Jesus had stopped being the center and the point of everything, yeah. you know, from Scripture to... And, and, I mean, I remember reading the Gospels, you know, like any good Protestant, you start with the Bible. And I'm also charismatic, so it has to be experiential. Yes, 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 yes. That's so great. I remember reading the Gospels and just, I think I was in, um, I want to say it was in Luke chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. And I remember sitting at my kitchen table and like slamming my Bible shut and looking up at my husband with like just tears running down my face and saying, um, I follow this guy. Yeah. And I almost felt angry because I felt like I he was everything and everything that he taught and everything he lived and everything that was just seemed to be um, healing and uh, whole and, and good and weird. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Everything. Right. 
And I remember feeling kind of almost ripped off. Hmm. You know, like Jesus had just become another character in the Bible instead of the point. Yeah. And so that for me was kind of the start of saying, what would it look like if I actually was a disciple of this guy? Wow. And what would it look like if I tried to walk in the steps that he walked in, if I tried to um, believe that everything he said was real and, and even his presence and his way of doing things was. And so that was kind of the tipping point for me. And I don't know that I'll ever swim out of that. Yeah. I mean, it changed how I read the Bible. Yeah. It changed how I saw church. It changed how I saw, um, you know, politics and opinions and ideas and all those things that Jesus oftentimes gets co-opted for. Um, and yet, still, I feel like all I want is to be with him. Yeah. Hmm. That's gorgeous. Sarah, as, on that journey, as you were... Um, as you were, uh, describe a little more the freedom that came. I'm assuming some freedom came when you said, "Okay, I'm. I can't call myself a Christian anymore, but I will call myself a Jesus follower." I, I just find there's still, and some reader questions are right along this um, this vein as well. I still find a lot of people that they don't know how to hang on to something while letting go of something else. You know, it's like, I'm going to let go of mm -hmm. everything and become something totally different versus no, that's not helpful anymore. Um, and here's why. So can you talk a little bit more about that process? Well, I think that sometimes when we're in a time of shifting or questioning or doubting or, or wrestling, and, and for me, a lot of that had to do with, you know, around church and, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I feel like we think that we have like two options. We tend to be really binary, right, right? right? And so we think our option is either to be completely intellectually and spiritually dishonest and just yeah. embrace it, right? right. be like, whatever, I'm going to stick my fingers in my ears. It's fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's really not, right. you know, and we're just pretending that, you know, we don't see the existence or the questions or the doubts or the um, the ways that the formula isn't working. Yeah. You know, for us, so the answers aren't adding up anymore. So we think that there's that, or we think we have to just burn it down. Yeah. You know, everything, right? Right. And so I think being able to find that third way that says, um, the even for me personally, like the narrowness of what I experienced was not the whole story of God's activity in the world. Yes, yes, right, yes. And so just even being able to say, I'm not the center of this story, I'm not the center <laughs> of the universe, maybe this, you know, individual or this church or this teaching or this, you know, opinion or ideology or thing that I was given that people told me was the linchpin of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And if you didn't believe in six-day literal creation, then, you know, there's no help for your soul. Right, right, right. <laughs> but then you realize that there's all these believers who, you know, maybe think differently. And you start to realize that the the story of God and his activity in the world is so much more generous and big and wide. And you find these people out here who are questioning and pushing it. And for me, that was so incredibly healing that I just, I embraced all of it. Like I, I often joke, my friend Kelly and I, we say like we're ecclesiastically promiscuous. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, I, know, I love right? that. I love that. Because 
I feel like it's all so beautiful. And I love pulling from all the traditions and all these people and seeing and being like, wow, this, I feel like how could we even begin to get a full picture of God and just the narrowness of the one thing that we were given in the beginning. I needed the Anabaptists, you know, and I needed the Anglicans and I need the Mennonites and I need the Baptists and I need all these things coming together. And I'm, you know, crazy enough to believe they also need people like me you know, who are, you know, unqualified theologians and a little bit sloppy charismatics, <laughs> you know, who are also liturgical and a kind of an activist. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> so yeah. All those things together just create something so beautiful and you begin to realize how big and that there's room for you, yes. right? There's room for, for everything that you bring to the table, your experiences, your voice, your past. And there's, we need you in that room too, but you also need the rest of us. And so yes. that to me was the third way that I found through there of saying, okay, I can't fully be who I used to be. I can't return to that person any longer. Right. But also I'm willing to say I'm not, I don't want to burn the whole thing down either. Right, right. And I think that takes a humility and also a kind of um, you, you need to receive grace for yourself and offer grace to others if, if, if you're going to be around this huge big table. Um, you know, because there's going to be people that annoy you and you're going to annoy them. I mean, that's, that's the other thing. Um, so, so I like this phrase, ecclesiastically promiscuous. I think that's your next book. Uh, I think, I think that's your next book title. I'm I'm just calling it here. I'm calling it here. Well, you know what? I managed to anger almost everybody with another two word title in a book with Jesus feminist everybody on all sides were fear so maybe ecclesiastically promiscuous is just the next <laughs> progression i'm making everybody wonder if i've lost my mind <laughs> exactly it's just it's 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 the next logical progression really from jesus feminist to ecclesiastically promiscuous i think everyone would totally get that and it would anger nobody nobody um all right so I think there's a funny story that I want you to tell, or it's not funny necessarily, but I think it's sort of funny, and it's it's the way your family came to faith. And I, if as I remember it correctly, you're sitting around in the living room listening to an old record. Am I am I remembering this story correctly? Yeah, can you tell yeah, that? Well, yeah, it's honestly it's one of those stories that I just the older I get, the more dear it becomes to me because the absurdity of how God will meet us. <laughs> Yes. It's just so glorious to me, right? I just always remember this um, those passages in the scripture that talk about how God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Yeah. You know, we have all of our, you know, church growth strategies and here's how we do it and here's how you do evangelism and whatever else. And this just always reminds me that there's no one right way. Yeah. Right. So my family, um, you know, I grew up in sort of a, I guess you would call it like a post Christian context yeah. uh, in the prairies, very. Uh, practical, very, um, you know, religion was something that did not register in our life at all. I mean, it was kind of our, it would have been like my granny's parents who were the last generation that was in church regularly. So like my grandparents maybe went for Easter, but by the time it hit my parents' generation, nobody was at church. I didn't know anybody who went went to church or was kind of into that sort of thing. And so, you know, when my parents uh, we're probably about my age right now. Uh, we had this little Mennonite babysitter, um, you know, and she was, I think, about 14 years old, and she went to church camp, and they had told her that, you know, she should be evangelizing people. Of course, of course. And, right. 
And she looked around her circle and it was pretty narrow. I mean, you know, when you're in a Mennonite community, oftentimes, you know, you, you just kind of work with the people that you go to church with or, yeah. you know, go to school with them or whatever. And she was like, well, I don't really know anybody, but I do babysit for this like family of heathens. You know? <laughs> like, Total pagan family. They're terrible. Exactly. But she was young. And so she just gave us this record. It was an old Mary NASA record called uh, Bullfrog Butterflies. Oh my and, goodness. Bullfrogs you know, and butterflies. It was really... I remember that, I think. Was that like um was that like uh have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry. Was I mean was that the one? We had that but one. Oh my gosh, we grew yes. up with that thing. And good morning, good morning, good morning. Yes, to yes. And oh my <laughs> gosh, yes. It's the cheesiest like seventies amazing so LP. There's, there's like to 70s Jesus people music, right? But we loved it. My sister and I were quite young. We were about the age of my children right now, um, you know, nine, seven, five-ish. And um, I remember like we would listen to it and we thought it was really great. And they would talk about how, you know, bullfrogs and butterflies have both been born again and nothing's better than uh, being with God, not even riding your bike, you know? (laughs) And we just thought it was great. But while we were... We'd be at school during the day. Uh, we went to school in the community school just out back. And uh, we'd be at school and my mom would sit at home alone with a record player and listen to it over and over again uh, and just cry and cry because it was the first time she'd ever heard the gospel. Wow. And she just felt, um, you know, knowing now just the activity of the Spirit of God and knowing how the Holy Spirit was just meeting with her and saying, you know, all those questions you have about where love is and where it comes from and where who gave you this love that you feel towards your family and 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 this beauty and these things this is it Mm. this is what you've been looking for Mm. and so that started off our journey we ended up in a really small little uh, presbyterian church where they were just so kind and so good to us i remember my mom uh coming to sunday school with me um and they would ask her because she was, you know, they'd say, you know, do you want to teach Sunday school? They're always looking for volunteers, of course. Yeah. And she'd say, I can't teach Sunday school. I don't know any of it, but I'll come and I'll hand out crayons and can I learn? Yes. And so she would, you know, hug all the kids and hand out, set up the chairs and hand out crayons. And then she would sit there with me and listen to all the stories. And we'd go home and she'd be like, this is amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That is beautiful. Uh, I love that story. I, I, I can't remember which book you write about it in, but I love it. I love it. Uh, well, your last book, Out of Sorts, um, uh, you wrote a story that I, I love, probably my favorite story in it. And it's probably, it's maybe you wouldn't predict it would be my favorite, but it was when your husband, Brian, who used to be a youth pastor, and then he wasn't for a long time. And then there was this church in his hometown, I think, if I'm remembering it right, mm-hmm. that was interested in him being the pastor again. So you went through this long process of should we do it, should we not do it, and he had to go through this long process of why do I want to do this, why should I do it, why don't I, why shouldn't I do it? But I think you really um, you paint it without even talking about it. You paint a really good picture of what an egalitarian marriage looks like. So can mm-hmm. you tell us, for the people who haven't read the, st- read the book out of sorts, can you sort of recount that story? Because I think it's, 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 it's a gorgeous way of looking at how a man and a woman can 
uh, wrestle with the the tough decisions without the stupid like well if they you know if you don't decide there's got to be a tiebreaker or you know the <laughs> the man just has to be the one it's so ridiculous um, can you tell that story yeah you know I the the book the story is in the one of the last chapters in the book called the evangelical hero complex yeah which great my title, husband by and way. I have. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it was one of those things where um, I think that people, when they often talk about that with marriage, they want to know, like, what do you do when you don't agree? Yeah. You know, that's almost the first thing people will jump to when you tell them that you co-lead in your marriage, yeah. that you consider Jesus the head of your home and that together you, you know. You what if you don't agree? I mean, someone's got to have a tiebreaker vote. Exactly. That's always the first question. What happens? I'm like. We wait. Like, you what does talk. anybody do? Like, you talk. Yeah. Be a yeah. person. Like, I don't understand yeah. why this is even a question. So, right. It's so silly. Anyway, I mean, it was a huge part of, you know, it was a really fraught time in our life and in our marriage because, I mean, Brian had, you know, been preparing for ministry for 20 years. Um, you know, when we left ministry, when we left full-time vocational ministry, it was always with the intention of returning. And so he went to seminary and then things didn't quite work out the way that we had expected. And he found himself in another career and worked his way up over, you know, a 10 year period. And he was enjoying a lot of success in this role. But some part of him always just felt like, am I failing because I'm not pastoring? Yeah. Am I failing because I'm not Pastor Brian anymore? You know, doesn't Jesus love us better? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, if we're doing the, the doing real work. ministry in the church. Exactly frontline stuff, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Gotta be radical for Jesus. Oh and so gosh, don't even start. We can talk forever, Steve. Oh, we'll get so off track. But one of the things that ended up happening during this process was that uh, we found out about a church that was hiring and we kind of went through this whole process and we got down to it. And I just had such a sense that he was not at peace. You know, it's like he was moving towards something that was the old version of himself yeah. and the old version of what we'd always thought God wanted for us and the old um, ways that we expected God to use us, which I don't yeah. even like that word. Yeah, use, neither do um, I. We're God, right. And so breaking free of those kinds of habits and thought patterns and, and detoxing almost from that um, takes a long time. And it, it's not an instantaneous thing. It's something that unfolds often choice by choice and decision by decision. And so I remember saying to him, um, you know, that he had chosen me over ministry many times. Hmm. Um, in times when I was struggling with church, when I couldn't bring myself to go to church, yeah. when opportunities would come up, he wouldn't take them because he knew I wasn't in that place. Yeah. And I never forgot that gift. I never forgot how he picked me yeah. instead of some, you know, big hero complex thing. Yeah. And so when this came up, I remember saying to him, if you want it, we'll go. I'll take, I'll pack up this house. I will leave Canada. I will take my children from this life. I will do it with joy. I will not punish you for it. I will make it fun and good. And we will create a whole new life. If this is what you really feel that God wants for you to do, you need to know that I'm picking you. Wow. And so we went into it with that attitude. But as things went along, you know, just that discernment from the Spirit of God and that conversations, I mean, I just knew that there was something else going on and him giving me the place to be able to speak that and say, are you making this decision out of fear or out of hope? You know, can we talk about this? Yeah. Um, you know, reopen that conversation. 
And I remember he came home a few days later and said that he'd removed himself from the process that he had just pulled out altogether. And I was quite surprised. I was like, well, I thought we weren't quite there yet. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he just said, you know what? You were right. Wow. It was just the last dying gasp of that evangelical hero complex of needing to fit into this vision of who I always thought I would be instead of embracing where God is and moving and active right now. And I do not want to do this or re-enter full-time vocational ministry out of anything other than a deep sense of calling and purpose and goodness. And I don't ever want it to be because I'm worried this is my last shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really a gorgeous story. I mean, you're such a good writer and you, you write those emotions out so well for both of you. Um, and I, so I wanted you to tell it because I think that's so often we feel like in our marriages we're, we're clutching and grasping for the thing that we want and we've given it up long mm -hmm. enough. And, and, and you guys have a really sweet and beautiful example. And I'm sure it's fraught with all kinds of fighting and all the normal stuff too, but uh, it must be <laughs> because it's, you know, but, but that picture is um, a beautiful picture of mutual submission and even your th even your challenge of saying I, I think you're doing this out of fear even that strong mm -hmm. word is a real huge gift and that he heard that that's freedom that really is yeah, freedom is. you know um, you know and I think that when you're approaching any of these decisions within your marriage and you know right from the get-go that the person's not against you right that they are so incredibly for you yeah. right? that, you know, every, any challenge that Brian has ever spoken to me has been, I've been able to receive because I knew it was out of love and it was because he was for me. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there isn't this sense of contending or this sense of, um, you know, anonymity or, or pardon me, enmity and, yeah. and being, you know, at right. conflict together. Right. Instead, there's a sense of, I want what's best for you i long for this for you i know how much this is let's let's figure out a way to do this well that brings wholeness yeah. to you and to who we are to our children um you know all of those things right all you're all you're looking for is that wholeness together i love that uh my wife mary and i we've been married for 20 years now and we the counselor that we saw before we got married and for many years afterwards she always brought up the beautiful Azer Connecto, which she, mm. yeah, which we, we've, we've loved for I can't believe years. you were hearing that all the way then. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's, well, she, we had a that. very special counselor. She, her name is Shannon Steiger. Shout out to Shannon if you're listening. You changed our lives, helped us so much. But she really helped us understand what that sort of face-to-face -face companion leaning up against each other, um, again, face-to-face, um, yeah. was like, and we really had to struggle through that. I mean, I actually, back in the day when Mary and I met, I was what I would call a, a sort of a non-thoughtful complementarian. I just hadn't ever known <laughs> any other way. You know, I mean, my parents right. kind of modeled that and I didn't even ever, I mean, that was, you know, we got married. Well, and, the husband's supposed to be the head of the home. Right. You kind of would hear it. Yeah. The it's, leader, it's... the tiebreaker. <laughs> Yuck. Well, or even like the underside of that would be the thing is like your husband's supposed to be the head of the home, but the wife's the neck, you know, right. or there's the way <laughs> the <laughs> neck like, turns the head. Are we going to be talking about here? But okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so fun. I mean, it's actually not funny, but it's because um, that stuff is still out there. I mean, it really is. It really is gross. Um, yeah, and so. Right. 
And Jesus Feminist, yeah, um, I'm glad you brought that up a few minutes ago. Actually, because I Jesus Feminist is, I mean, it, it is about egalitarianism, but it's so much bigger than that, actually. For me, it was this call to be human and to, and to sort of um, realize that um, there are lots of ways that we demean each other in the genders and that the story of God is so much bigger than that. And it really is about wholeness. It's about bringing together what has been fragmented. So anything you want to say about Jesus Feminist uh, before we move on? Well, I mean, I'm so glad you said that, because honestly, that was my heart right from the get-go. I mean, I'm not an academic, and so I knew, and and I think one of the big things that I I longed for on the other side of that was to say, this was never for me a book about Christian feminist theory, right? Right. That that exists so well in seminaries and in universities and in kind of this academic power that never seems to really trickle down into like, what does this mean in my life? What is right. this in my regular church, in my ordinary thing? And so we could just hear all the time at the baby shower or the, the wedding shower, you know, well, he's supposed to be the head of the home and, you know, who wears the pants? And we just kind of go through this non-thinking complementarianism, exactly what you were yeah. saying. Yeah. Um, and so for me, what I really longed for in that book when I was writing it was really, let's give a picture of what life looks like on the other side of the yes. Yes. You know, for those of us who... Um, grew up in a home like this or in a churches like this, like let's demystify it. Let's take it out of the academics. Let's talk about the fact that this is what a vision is for the kingdom of God and what it looks like when we're walking in wholeness together in marriage, in church, in the world, what it means for the story of God globally. Yep. Um, you know, these really tight little arguments of like, well, can, can the ladies read scripture and can they be a director, but not a pastor? <laughs> not a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Oh my they, God. They can Talk share, but not preach. Oh my gosh. You know, it just is, it's unbelievable. Right. And so being able to write into it from that place of wanting to build bridges and, and invitation for people to say, Oh, well, look, you know, this is what it looks like on the other side of saying, yes, to God's, you know, purposes and wholeness and goodness about men and women working together. Yeah. And then what are the implications for that in, in our life, right? So beautiful. Um, yeah, I don't know that it was ever meant to be, you know, super um I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but you know, I don't know that anybody would use it for a textbook. <laughs> right, but but there I mean there you do do a very good job actually with with the biblical text about some of the clobber verses, you know, around yeah. Women well, being silent in the church to, and stuff. Know? Yeah, you did a, 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 a beautiful job. Yeah. So well, thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I so Sarah, I, we have show notes for this good word, and I will of course include your website where you blog and uh, both your books, Jesus Feminist and Out of Sorts. Um, so anyway, so everybody, if you're wondering where do I get them, I will provide them. You can you can get them right on Sarah's site, uh, but I will also list them as well. All right, next question. What is one issue right now that makes you angry or breaks your heart? Hmm. That's a good question. It's actually one of my favorite things to say, when, especially when teaching at like uh, women's events. Yeah. Is I often ask those women, what makes you angry? Uh, because I think we don't do it, especially as Christian women, where you're not really allowed to be angry. You're supposed <laughs> to be the nice Christian girl, right? Yeah. Um, learning to pay attention to your anger and see that as an invitation from the Holy Spirit, yep. I think is, is something that's, um, you know, an, a new new practice for a lot of us. 
Um, one of the places where I have felt, um, I, you know, a, a lot of anger, but even more probably a, a you know, a broken heart about all of it is um, really leaning into some of the conversations we're having actually about women in Canada right now. Hmm. Um, you know, we've had a couple of high profile uh, sexual assault trials that have really, you know, kind of uncovered just how damaging and revictimizing that can be. And so that's been some conversations that have been a part of the mur- murdered and missing Indigenous women yeah. um, commissions that are kind of unfolding here. You know, all of those different places where I feel like we just see that the church has such a different story mm-hmm. to tell, you know, and, and, and a, a story without fear. One of the things that has, I think, really caught my imagination as being such a beautiful thing was um, in this time when so many people are shutting their doors to refugees, for instance. Yeah. Um, you know, here in Canada, we opened up the doors and, and welcomed 25,000 in less than two months. Yeah. And seeing in my own community, um, you know, my friends uh, getting apartments, setting families up, running into refugee families at my public library. Um, You know, it's just, it's been such a beautiful picture to me of believing and and, and modeling and showing the different um, difference of the kingdom of God, of what it looks like to live with, with, in love and with welcome and invitation instead of fear and othering and, and these sorts of things. I mean, the blend within our own, you know, small city in Western Canada and all across you know, Canada, we're seeing this welcome happen and these families being integrated. And it's not perfect. You know, there's lots of places where there's, you know, we're learning and finding new ways to do it better. Um, But the spirit of it has just really blessed me and given me such a good picture of how this is what it can look like when the church and the people of God and we aren't afraid. Right. uh, And we lead well in that space. Yeah, I like that. No fear. Certainly messy, certainly uncomfortable. Certainly, it'll move the center and it'll widen the circle. Mm-hmm. All of those things, you know, are going to be uncomfortable. But on the other side of that, I think there's this opportunity to go, whoa, it's expansive. It's bigger than I thought, this kingdom of God no. thing. It's, it's, it's brighter. It's more complex. It's more beautiful. It's, um, it's, it's not as small as I was led to believe, you know. And so I and, know. And I think the refugee crisis is a real opportunity right now, actually, for Christians all across the world to see that, to expand, and to yeah. you know, it really is. And and um, and there's so many ways I think that we can um, shut down out of fear. That we well, yeah. you know, what's going to happen if we well, things and and crazy stuff does happen in the world. But since when does that stop? Since when has that ever stopped Christians? Really, you know, like over the course of Totally. The two thousand years. There's, there's been so many, so many times where we could have stopped. You know, fear could have stopped us, and mm-hmm. you know, love. Well, on. I just don't think that you know the any of these things. There, it's never a, a pass or an excuse or a disqualification yeah. from discipleship. Yeah, right. And so those things still stand just as much in Jesus's time as as they do now. Yeah. And so just because. You know, one of the things that I, I often say to, especially to young people, because they often will read Jesus Feminist and get very, you know, fired up and they're kind of in their baby feminist right. stage, right? Where they're just like, yeah. challenge everything, yes. smash the patriarchy. You know? yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And that's a really, you know, great stage of life. And I think that we all kind of have that, that side of ourselves that's still, you know, there within. But one of the things that I always have felt really strongly about, you know, both for Jesus Feminist and for the refugee crisis or for any other of these 
you know, seminal social justice issues or things that are running on in our world is that the way in which we do that um, matters in yes. the kingdom of God because we, we don't just simply want to win. We want to see that the, the, the game is flipped, yeah. that the script is flipped here. So I'm not going to take these same tactics that have been used against me as a woman, you know, silencing, bullying, shaming, um, you know, and somehow baptize those in sacred language and think that because I'm right, I get a pass on them. Oh, mama, preach. Right? And so for me being able to say, no, you know, these are the things I care about. Yes, this is wrong. I'm going to call this out as being evil and wrong, and I want to dismantle this thing, but I'm going to do it and know that I do not get a pass on the fruit of the Spirit simply because I'm right. Wow. I'm still... I still need to be abiding in the vine. I still need to be a person of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and even self-control. Yeah. And that against those things, there is no law. And I'm not warring against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. There's yeah. an old charismatic phrase for you. So, yeah. you know, being able to engage with it, whether it's a refugee crisis or it's, you know, conversations about how we handle sexual assault victims or, uh, the, you know, all these other things that are going to poverty and war. I mean, I just feel like there's such a prophetic and better way to embody wholeness and shalom and that sense of peacemaking Yes, that leaves that nothing's left out, nothing's broken, yeah. and no one's left behind. Man, that's... See, now you can tell. She's a writer. She's a preacher. This woman preaches. <laughs> Preach it. I love it. Oh. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay. Uh, I want to get to, Sarah, some questions that some listeners wrote in. I posted on Facebook a couple days ago that I was going to be talking to you. And, you know, people love you, Sarah. I, I hope you know that. And in this neck of the woods, it's it's no different. Um, and so, okay, this one's from, actually, I, I know Natalia. She's a pastor here in town. And she's, so she's a pastor here in town. And uh, she says, to people who are disenfranchised with the church, what would you tell them? And, and you sort of addressed this a few minutes ago, but maybe encapsulated in a few sentences. She, Natalia said, there were so many opportunities you had to give up on the church and you didn't. Um, sort of, and so what I hear in that, and what I hear her saying is, my parishioners, some of them are leaving because they just have had it. What do I tell them? And how do I, what, what can they hang on to? Well, I mean, the truth is that I think that if I had tried to write out of sorts, you know, 10 years ago, it would be a very different book. Yeah. Um, you know, our lives are, are really long and the church is so much bigger and the story of God is bigger even than our, you know, particular things. So, I mean, for me, I did leave church. Yeah. You know, I stopped going to church, you know, and, and being involved or being, you know, a regular attender or, or really, you know, a member anywhere, um, showed up sometimes on Easter because I felt like I had to um, um, for six years. Yeah. And I'm sure that there were people in, you know, the churches that I encountered along the way that really probably had very similar questions. What do we say to get her to stay? Right. Um, and so to be honest, I feel like sometimes there isn't anything to say. Sometimes it's okay to go. Yes. It's okay to release people, you know, to understand that, um, you know, our spiritual journeys are, are long and sometimes there'll be a bit of wandering and there'll be some questioning. And sometimes you find yourself like me. Um, I left altogether, could not seem to bring myself to go to the churches with which I had come of age in and which yeah. had start giving me Jesus to begin with. Yeah. 
Um, and, and so slowly I found God in all these other places and outside the walls and, you know, in people whom I would have never expected to have, you know, a total encounter with the Spirit of God, you know, at, at work or in a neighborhood or uh, even in traditions that were so different than my own. You know, and as the path continued to unfold, I don't think anybody was more surprised than me to find out I ended up back where I started. Yeah. In some very similar churches to how I started off in leisure centers and community centers and folding chairs and people waving flags and banging on tambourines. And, you know, but I see it as such with such different and new eyes because of that time apart. And I feel like I came back to that community with such richness of you know, how I view the sacraments and liturgy and scripture and becoming more contemplative and, and embracing even my activist, um, you know, self. And, and I wouldn't have been able to bring that back to the community that I left if I hadn't had that time apart. So, I mean, I guess when when pastors ask me that, I know that it's born out of a tremendous love for their people. And I think that at some at sometimes um, it's okay to let people go. You know, that the that we can trust the spirits at work, that we know that the spirit isn't restricted to our one and only, you know, church or worship service. I mean, there's certainly times where we need to receive people's critiques and wrestle with them. And sometimes there'll be times when you're like, okay, wow, you know what, we really do need to take a run at this or let's talk about it or, yeah. you know, but if someone at some point just needs to have some space, we don't need to be afraid. There's nowhere we can go to outrun God's spirit, right? You look at Psalm 139 where even David says, you know, if I made my bed in hell, you're already there with me. Darkness is not even dark to you, but it's like light. And so I just, I have so much more confidence now that even if maybe my own eyes can't see it, maybe it's not the path I would want for someone. um, Where could we go to outrun the spirit of God? Wow. Thank you for that answer. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for that. That's so good. Um, okay. This one's from Hannah. Uh, what kinds of practices do you do to quiet your soul in the midst of the chaos of mothering, working, writing, preaching, wifing? I think that's a great question. <laughs> I think that's a great that is, question. That is a great question. <laughs> I wish I had a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> tea. Lots of tea. I, I drank a lot of tea. Um, you know, I think that it is, uh, ordinary chaos. I mean, I think that that's, I think one of the things that I had to learn is that there wasn't sort of this demarcation between now I'm with God and now I'm with my regular life. Yeah. Right? yeah. But that is, it wasn't until I learned that the spirit of God can infuse all those things, that there can be this seamlessness so that I am meeting with and encountering God and loving God yeah. just as much when I'm folding laundry or I am checking spelling homework or I'm shuttling children everywhere yes. <laughs> you know, or hanging out with my husband or going for walks. I mean, there's things that do feed my soul and I do try to make space for those things because I feel like they make me um, just more myself. But do I believe that I need to do them in order to meet with God? Not really. Yeah. Um, you know, so all those things matter and they all kind of come together. I mean, I try, I think that, you know, one of the things that I really do uh, quite a bit is I, I, you know, just having a little bit of room and a little bit of white space and margin. I feel like if we leave a bit of room, then we'd be surprised how much the spirit of God will fill that space. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well said. Uh, okay. Tracy asks, uh, what will you be talking about at the Festival of Faith and Writing? Because Tracy is going, uh, I think it's next week or the next week. Uh, are you going to reveal the the content of your talk? 
Well, it has already actually been revealed. They okay. just put out this, the official schedule. So um, I'm talking about, uh, I think the title of the talk that we settled on was Unqualified, Why Everyone Can Write About Theology. Oh, that's great. Um, and I'm wanting to take a run at this idea that I hear from a lot of people, which is they don't feel qualified to talk about their experiences and encounters with God. Wow. That they think that unless they are, you know, ordained or unless they are officially clergy or unless they are, you know, have six different degrees behind their name and have read all the right books, yeah. that somehow their experiences and encounters with God aren't as valid or aren't worth writing about. And so I'm really wanting to take a run at this idea of being an unqualified theologian and how there's room for that mm-hmm. uh, and how much more we need even to hear from people, you know, whether from, especially from underrepresented traditions and backgrounds. Uh, and how they encounter and read scripture and how, you know, those sorts of things happen. So I'm really excited about it. Um, I think because it has been such a huge part of my own journey, I wrote about God for 10 years before I actually thought that I could. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think any sense. I totally. was always like, I don't know if this is right. And I mean, I just love theology and I love to read about it and I, and I love the Lord and I love to, to find and, ex- and write about what I see and hope and experience about God in my life. And I didn't know I could. And, uh, and being able to, to understand that and learn that and know that there's room for me. Um, I think sometimes that's even born of some insecurities. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm wanting to kind of, you know, it's been a big part of my own permission. And so I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful I'll be able to give a few more people some permission. Oh, that sounds so great. I wish I could be there to hear it. Um, Tracy's also, I, I know, dang it. Uh, next year. Next, maybe I'll, maybe I'll steal away and, and, uh, who knows, who knows. Um, uh, Tracy's also wondering if you're going to hang out during the rest of the festival or are, are, are you going to, are you going to attend or just speak and, and go back home to your babies? No, I'll be there for most of it. You know, this is, it's actually quite a bit of a full, um, circle story for me. Because eight years ago, I went to the festival. My husband, I wanted to be a writer. I was writing and blogging for years and years. I've been blogging for a dozen years already. Yeah. And I always wanted to write a book. And my husband said, you know, as a gift, he gave me this trip to go to this Christian writing conference. We'd never heard of it. I had nothing to do with any, any of it. Um, and I got on a plane. I was very pregnant at the time with, I think, my second. And so I got on a plane, flew all the way to Grand Rapids, got there and had like the worst week of my life (laughs) 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 so bad because I I came in first of all I was you know I I had this sense of like I didn't know anyone I was super lonely I ate lunch alone I didn't speak for days and days and I went to all these sessions and all I heard of all these sessions was that I would never be a writer and that wasn't at all what people were saying right they were but I remember going to this one session where they talked about how I was a couple of agents and they were talking about how to publish your book and they were saying basically that you need to have either a really great voice or you need to have a huge platform like Joe yeah. Osteen kind of stuff yes and that was like well crap I have nothing <laughs> <laughs> I have I, sound, like I didn't I had a try hard voice as a writer I didn't know who I was I was yeah. trying on personas to try to figure out what would get me in the door and yeah you know all these things so I remember having like this super sloppy night um on the last night of the festival I went back to my room and I like laid on the floor I'm nothing if not over dramatic <laughs> I love it and I laid on the floor and you know cried out God and was like I will never be a writer I wanted to be a writer since I was seven years old and just now 
accepting that this is never going to happen for me. Wow. I'm never going to publish a book. Wow. I have wasted all these years, all these dreams, all this stuff. No one ever reads anything I write. I couldn't sell an article if I attached a kidney to it. <laughs> like I just, there was nothing, no hope, no. And, and I felt like it was just kind of like this reality check of saying, you know what? They're right. You have no networks. You have no platform. You have no connections. You have no voice. You have nothing to say. And so why would you think that you could be a writer? And so I had just this really profound sense of hearing the voice of God in that space in this little hotel room in Grand Rapids. And it doesn't happen like that all the time for me. I can count maybe a, a you know a couple of maybe a dozen times in my yeah. life where I've really strongly felt like I heard the voice of God in a way that was like that didn't come from within yeah. my own thoughts. Like it just kind of breaks through. And I felt like I heard the voice of God say to me, "You may never be published. No one may ever read a word you write." but I've called you to be a writer and I want you to write because I want to meet with you there. Wow. Wow. And I went home and I just was free. I felt free because I was like, I have no expectations. Hmm. I have no need to be published. Um, I'm never going to be. So I can just, who cares? Put that away. Put that away. And I can just, I don't need to censor myself anymore. I don't have to say this isn't what good Christians write. Right. I don't have to backspace and delete and edit my my true self because yeah. who cares nobody's going to publish it and so <laughs> yes. that gift of fearlessness it became like this altar to meet with god and i just wrote and wrote i wrote every day wow. for four years before i finally found my voice wow and i did experience god's healing and um wholeness and goodness in that space it was transformative deeply transformative for me yeah and you know after that time, you know, eventually, you know, agents came and publishing and, you know, all those things that I thought I was laying down were all restored to me. And I'm thankful for that. But that was never really the point for me. The point was I, I was so broken and yeah. so in desperate need of healing. Yeah. And that was the place where God met with me and healed me. And so fast forward eight years, you know, I'm coming back to this festival you know, with a couple of published books and a whole host of friends that I'm going to meet there. Yeah. And all these things are happening. And I just feel like this, like, sneaky Jesus sort of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. The whole circle nature of it. So I'm, I'm feeling like, yes, I'm going to stay for the whole thing. I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to be everywhere. Everyone will be incredibly sick of Sarah Bessie by the end of the week. Oh, doubtful. Uh, thank you for telling that part of the story because I think there's probably – a lot of people who are listening and who are at where you like they're in the stage where you were eight years ago and um it's never going to happen and and i think there's a tendency to think oh sarah bassey she's always been a fantastic writer she always had her voice uh you know she she said no to agents who were banging down her door for years and years and years till she finally felt you know i mean i think that's what people end up thinking that that's how it's like and um, not that we're going to rejoice in that night where you were crying out to God in the oh, you know eight, eight years ago, but that's a gift, you know. I mean, that's a gift. I think we, um, it, and I mean, I just uh, three months ago published my first book, and it's like it's a different. Publishing is very different than writing. I mean, honestly, like publishing, I found it to be. Ooh, it just brings out some of the worst in me. I mean, some of the worst ego and and ambition and 
and fear and insecurity and comparing and all that stuff. So even and, that sense of scarcity, like if someone else has success, does that mean there's less success for me? Right. Exactly. You know, all exactly. those. Yeah. It's just the, it's just the worst real. I mean, yeah. Ed Suzuki wrote this great book called uh, how to write without crushing your soul. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> and that's a big part of the component, right? I mean, just being able yeah. to, to live into that, that space while still maintaining your humanity and your, yeah. um, your hopes and, and yep. even your, um, sense of abundance. Yep. Uh, yeah. Is it can be it can be difficult in the system. <laughs> well, yeah, and and it's definitely. I mean, it's a great place of learning for me for sure. Um, but I would not call it um, what I expected, you know. And I don't know what I expected. I, I don't know. It's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get a call from Bono, you know. Hey, I picked up your book <laughs> at, uh, you know, at what, the airport because of course it was at the airport. You did? Uh, did you get that call from? <laughs> I'm still waiting for it, Sarah. Still, still waiting for that call from Bono. Um, oh my gosh, we're we could talk for 14 hours. I, I feel like, um, but we're out of time. Was there anything you wished I would ask you that I didn't? You know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I've so enjoyed our conversation. I just yeah. appreciate you. I've loved your book. Mm, thanks. Sarah. Uh, you know, the work that you do has just been such an enjoyable thing. I hope that we get a chance to visit again sometime. Well, we're going to, I mean, we are going to find a way to get you, I mean, I am, I am, I am proclaiming this to get you to our little church. Um, <laughs> and I know you, you, have, you, you have been so welcome and willing and, and we just have, have been scatterbrained and, and unable to make it happen. But that I can't wait for. Um, we have, yeah. so we planted a church two years ago. It's this liturgical, um, beautiful, we meet in a Jewish community center. I mean, it, it's, it's a gorgeous it's a gorgeous thing i can't wait for them to meet you at some point at some point um we will i still look forward to it yeah thanks sarah thanks so much for hanging out with us um and have fun at the at the festival um next week and i'm sure it'll you're just gonna kill it so um maybe is that gonna be recorded is 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 your talk recorded and available i have no idea Okay. I'll, I have no idea if it is or not, but I guess we'll I guess we'll find out. I'll do some sleuthing on that. Okay. Well, everybody, uh, Sarah, we we end the podcast every week uh, with this little mantra that 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 we say that we are dust and breath, we are limited and limitless, we are human and holy, and we're in it together. So, um, mm. in it together with you, Sarah, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, blessings to you and your family, to Brian and to to the four kids. And uh, all your writing and your speaking and your traveling and your being a human being. You are a gift to the world. Thanks, Sarah.